Beware, this is an uncensored podcast. Some towns are dreamed, some are master-planned, some are conquered. Larimer happened by accident. It was the turn of the last century, and there were grand plans to build a railway right through the guts of Australia, joining Darwin and Adelaide and opening up the top end. It was a big investment, almost a million pounds, and they were in a hurry. Sometimes there were thousands of labourers frantically laying one kilometre of track a day. By 1929, they'd made it as far as Larimer, about eight kilometres further, actually, to a place called Burdham. But then... They had the Great Depression and there was no funds and the bean counters in Canberra said, hey, got to stop all this folly, um, just stop wherever you are. So where they stopped, they'd just crossed the Burdham Creek and um, they just stopped in the middle of nowhere. It was what you might call a bit of a stuff-up. So here in this accidental town, it's not totally surprising that most of the residents ended up here by accident too. There's a place on the map here called Larimer. Looks like it's got a caravan park next to it. I was staying here for a while and I thought I was having a holiday and I thought, oh, bugger it, I might as well stay here. So then we pulled in here and uh, then we stayed and Barry sat down and needed a hand until Christmas. So we said, yeah, OK, we can stay a month. That's OK. And then it went on. And on and on and on a little bit more and then a bit more and then we bought the workshop and then it really went on and we're still here. <laughs> About two and a half years now. We don't know what brought Paddy Moriarty to Larimar, but at this point we do know that his death was likely not an accident. I'm Kylie Stevenson. And I'm Caroline Graham. This is Lost in Larimar. Larimer is not for everyone. It takes a certain type of person to make a go of it round here. Well, my girlfriend come up here, my crazy woman, and she come up. She couldn't act it. She said, how the bloody hell do you live here? And I said, well, and besides, she didn't like it much because she couldn't go to the shops. That's Barry Burke, otherwise known as Cookie, the bloke who gets around in his undies. And even though Cookie's not a big fan of shops... He admits that sometimes they'd be handy, especially since he's tackling a home renovation 480 k's from the nearest Bunnings. I've been waiting on a tin of putty now to come through from Alice Spring. I've been waiting for that for three weeks, and that's only a 1,000 k away. If you thought the judging on the block was snarky, you should hear what people in town have to say about Cookie's renovation. And his um, little house down there, it's um, like the biggest white elephant you've ever come across. So he's just put an absolute fortune into it over the years. He's been... Building it forever since I first got here, and um, he's never going to finish it. Cookie lives in one of a handful of railway cottages beside the old train line, and his reno is a triumph of one man over distance, heat and stink beetles. He can't tell us when he bought the house. It was ages ago. But when he moved in, the grass was so high you could lose a car in it. I'd been in here and we had a big mob of stink beetles that year. And I don't know how many buckets of stink beetles I got off the floor in there. But he had a vision. I, I, I sort of pulled the guts right out of this place when I'd done it. And I just changed the whole structure of it. Because I wanted it something different. And I, I, I was particular about the colours I wanted because I wanted colours that looked nice. You know, it didn't... One colour didn't sort of overtake the other colour. 
and I just wanted a nice coloured scheme. So, um, uh, like all the skirt boards and that are biscuit. The walls are half biscuit, what they call a half biscuit. And I bought that kitchen from Darwin and we put all that together. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's been hectic, but it, I've, I've enjoyed it. But um, I'd never go through it again. Everyone likes the kitchen, it's a big kitchen. Like, oh, this little, that, that there, the back of that looked a bit shit. I couldn't get what I wanted, so I had to get that Ripley tender put on there to cover it up. He's kept the original cypress pine floorboards and installed arches and two mahogany trees as architectural features. It could be in a magazine. A lot of people reckon I spent too much money on it, but I haven't really. I don't think I have anyhow, because if you want something to look nice, you've got to be prepared to uh, do what you want to do, you know? He's also done what he wants to do in the lounge department. Oh, yeah, it's proper, proper Italian leather. Oh, bloody oath, yeah. That's why I like it and that's why I bought it. Twelve months after I seen that, I went back in the shop, was still there, and I thought, freak this, I'm taking you home. <laughs> so I went and put $100 on it. And I said, how much is it? She said, nine grand. Cookie's Larimer's third longest standing resident after Fran and Bill. And even though he spends a lot of time away from here working out bush, he hasn't been immune to the town's infighting. Remember, he's been banned from the pub. I don't go up there. If, if I go up there, so I can get me mail. He steamed a couple of my, mail, my letters I got here. Uh, he opened them up, and these people across the road were down there. And uh, he said to me, oh, he said, Barry thought it was East and he opened it. I said, well, how do you get Barry Burke, how do you get Barry Sharp out of Barry Burke? He said, I don't know. I said, you tell him to fucking leave my mail alone so I'll rip his head off. I was pissed off with him, eh? In fairness, we have a pretty good idea of how someone could mix up Barry Burke and Barry Sharp. But anyway, the reason he can't go to the pub is because of the Mars bar allegation. Cookie got caught thieving stealing chocolates and shit out of the um, fridge and stuff, sneaking out the side door, which is why the side door's now is always locked. Basically, every time for the next 12 months after that that Paddy saw Cookie, he'd go, oh, you bloody thief. <laughs> or Cookie would come walking in, watch him, watch him. <laughs> oh, they reckon I stole Mars bars and all this shit, and I've got sugar diabetes. So what would you want to, what would you want, what would I want to sit here and eat Mars bars when I've got sugar diabetes? That's why I don't have sugar in my tea and bloody, I've got to just watch what I eat around here, you know. Cookie lives in Larimer, but his heart is in his home state of Tasmania. My mate died and um, it's his wife I'm tangled up with now. Um, she's a bloody good woman. I was here and I was going home and I rung her up and I was talking her on the phone and I said, oh, I'm coming home soon. I said, how would you like to go out for tea or lunch somewhere? She said, oh, that'd be good. So we went out for lunch and that was it. Bang, arse over it. <laughs> His girlfriend is part of the reason for the renovations. She's not moving here. He's looking to sell up and head home. No, I, I, I don't know. I just, I like the living, I like this lifestyle up here, but, you know, it's just all the... All the shit that's going on in the town, no, I've had enough. I've, I've had a gut from it. With Paddy gone and Cookie wanting to clear out, the whole town is at risk of disappearing, especially because there are a few other people here considering an exit. This chap wrote a little bit about the, nor- the Northern, North Australian Railways. So this is all Larimer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is here? Yeah, this, this is down Burnham. Oh, that's you? Yeah, that's me. 
Sound popular. Lenny Hodson is 82. He used to be a carny and worked in the mirror mazes. He also did a stint as a tram conductor and a truck driver. But it's behind the wheel of Larimer's small train that he comes alive. I ran the section card up and down, then we started taking passengers on it, you know. And somebody tried to stop us because they reckoned it was too dangerous. No, we didn't have any liability insurance either. You told me, though, when we went on it, that you had derailed it a couple of oh, times. Oh, yeah, I had, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it... e- it's easy. Oh, hit a, hit a, first time I derailed, I hit an ant bed that was over the rail and you couldn't see it. And it put me off the rails. And then the second time was a, with a stone on the, on the track. It put me off. And the, the next time was here, I had passengers on the trolley. Lenny lives next door to Cookie in that unair conditioned shed we mentioned with the fan he's not game to turn on. He wears Coke bottle glasses and he's always doing something the rest of the town reckons he's too old to be tackling, like mowing and slashing the railway on a 40 degree day or sliding under his truck to do a bit of bush mechanics. So how do you feel your days in Larimer when you're not on going on the train line? What do you do? Nothing. Might read. Yeah. What kind of things do you read? Oh, yeah, old westerns. Yeah. yeah? Lenny doesn't get himself into too much trouble. He's so unassuming that people kind of forget he's here. He's been in Larimer for 14 years, but even he's lukewarm about sticking around. Oh, yeah. I get sick of the heat at times. Go down south, I get sick of the cold. I'd like to be up, up north in like the subtropical. It's nice up there. So what's your plan? Are you staying in Larimer forever? Or? I don't know. don't know. If I can find something like this up on the hinterland in Queensland, I'd probably move up there. If I win the lotto, I'll buy something up there. But that's not likely. Just up the dirt road, Karen and Mark Rayner are weighing up their options too. Their reasons are much more complicated than Lenny's. I always wanted to have a, a home base, if you like, and uh, or, or a, a base where you could just take off from, and we thought, oh, yeah, this will do. But it hasn't evolved that way. Like we, We'd still like to be on the road, but now that we've invested all this money, if we were to just walk away from it and leave it even locked up, I don't think there'd be much left by the time we got back. That's um, unfortunately just because of the, the nature of the, the town. And, and getting someone to house sit in Larimer, well, yeah, there's nothing here for anyone, really. <coughs> the only reason we're here is pretty much because of the work. So it's, um, yeah, just, it's, it's funny the way it's evolved. Hey? Karen and Mark have been living out of their caravan next to the mechanic workshop they started a couple of years ago. They were driving around Australia, stopping from time to time when they were offered jobs. Karen loves animals, and she couldn't resist Barry's offer to stay in Larimar to look after the pub and learn to feed the crocodiles. They'd done plenty of hospitality and tourism work before. We did it over. We did it at Adele's Grove, but that was different. It was it was actually civilised, you know, unlike Larimar. Well, the rough people that would pass through, absolutely, at uh, eight in the morning, demand a f and beer. Thanks very much, you know. The highlight for Karen was really caring for Barry's animals. And since they left the pub, she's established her own menagerie. All right, the list of animals uh, to this date is two dogs, 13 bunnies, two squirrel gliders, two blue-tongued lizards, 
a cow and about 600,000 mealworms. The mealworms are Karen's business. She sends them to pet shops all over the country. There are actually some of the dormant mealworms in the fridge you can hear rattling in the background. I thought Karen had great hair, but you should see Norman's. That's the cow she adopted. And he gets a wash once a week. Shampoo and condition once a week. What do, you, what do you shampoo him with? Swatchkov, of course. Uh, plus he gets his hooves scrubbed and polished. Like a little show cow, but he's not. Mark's workshop gets business from the surrounding stations, and they've even bought one of the old railway houses. So they were pretty optimistic about staying here. But they've seen a side of the town that's made them think twice. But yeah, we don't kind of fit into their subculture of norm around here. We don't like to think we're better than them, we're just different. Actually, I don't, I don't think I'm better than anybody. I don't have that opinion whatsoever. I just think that uh, you can't make substandard a norm and think everybody's going to comply with it. The culture of Larimer is kind of um, a real eye-opener. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go gauging anywhere else off Larimer. Mark and Karen were very much in the centre of things when they worked at the pub, but they've always felt a bit like outsiders. They feel it more now, with Paddy gone. He was one of their closest friends in town. We, we love watching cooking shows and Irish dancing. You love the Irish dancing. Why, why did he love cooking shows? I don't really know. I think he just... He was amazed what, what people... The different things people could do with food and make it look so good. That was what it was. It wasn't about him going home and trying it. It was just, wow, that's what they can do with it. Oh, how about that, Karen? I go, how about that, Patty? Chicken. <laughs> we'll, we'll make you something. You know, Karen used to make him food. Oh, if I, if I come up with a new recipe. There you go, Patty, try that. Oh, gee, that's all right, Karen, isn't it? <laughs> Want another one, Patty? Yeah, right, eh? News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winder? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. For Karen and Mark and other people in Larimer, the hardship isn't just that Paddy's missing or that he's probably not coming back alive. They're facing the idea that one of their neighbours might have done something terrible. There's kind of a dual horror about what might have happened to Paddy. It's that if someone here is responsible, they've slipped back into their ordinary routine. Those little gut feelings that I was telling you about before. Well, there was quite a few of them. I just ignored them because we had in mind it was one particular house. Until forensics come along and kept testing, 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 and they kept coming, it kept coming back. From what I understand, I haven't spoken to them very much since then. Um, but obviously they'd all come back negative, otherwise they'd have made an arrest. So then you have to sort of... And then the gut feeling... Thing and other people coming in telling me about their gut feeling. You can have all the suspicions you want in the whole world. And everybody's entitled to them, I guess, but they're worth nothing if there's no evidence. Which is 
which would be even a, a bigger crime to Paddy because he deserves to have somebody be accountable for this. When I first heard about Paddy's disappearance, I was driving. I only caught the tail end of the news bulletin and I didn't hear a name, so I thought it was probably a tourist who'd gone missing, a bushwalk gone wrong. No one who knew the area would go out walking in the harsh conditions. No one local would get lost. But my first thought was, Larimer would be an easy place to die. It's hot, there are snakes, and if something went wrong off the main road, there might be a long time before someone found you. It's a dangerous landscape. So it might be hard to understand why police are focusing on foul play as the cause of Paddy's disappearance and why everyone in town agrees. Basically, there are three reasons why Paddy's disappearance is probably deliberate rather than an accident. As Detective Sergeant Matt Allen says, the first is that his body hasn't been found, despite the extensive searching. And I went up in the helicopter myself and I was very surprised to be able to see as much as I could. So what I mean by that is we've, we're very confident in our search efforts that if he had collapsed in that immediate area, then we, we would have been able to see him. The second reason is that Paddy was so routine. He never walked his dog at night and he always told people if he was planning a trip. He might have gone outside for a moment, but he definitely planned on coming back. There's no signs of any disturbance inside the house. So for whatever reason, it appears that he's voluntarily left, but he hasn't gone for any particular reason because he hasn't got his, that was the other thing, his reading glasses, his hat, his wallet. So all that was still at his, at his house. The main reason foul play is suspected is actually Paddy's dog, Kelly. If Paddy had got lost or had a heart attack or been bitten by a snake, she'd have turned up. There's nothing to indicate that suicide is a possibility, but even if that had happened, Kelly would have come back to the house or the pub looking for food. The culture of mutual suspicion in town isn't paranoia or pettiness. It's supported by a thorough police investigation. And it's not just the suspicion that's been difficult for residents. It's also the reality they might never know what took place on December 16, or if one of them is responsible. That's actually happened before around here, just up the road, or up the rail, in that place called Burdham. Yeah, there was a murder there. Yeah. It'll be in the, uh, it'll be in the second filing cabinet. Was he shot? I don't think they ever... It's never been solved, has it? Yeah, they had, I don't think they ever found out who who done the killing, actual killing. Because you can imagine it'd be pretty easy to get away. I mean, that's when Burton was a town, and uh, there's only a road in and a road out, and that's pretty easy to get in and out. Or, or the rail line. You don't have to jump on the train. They wouldn't even know you're on the train. Barry didn't know much about the Burton murder, so we went back to the rusty filing cabinet to see what we could find and there was a folder that had the word Jacobson on it. Here's Caro. I found a series of newspaper articles, some photographs, a picture of a grave and some maps. And it looks like what happens is this. It was the 1930s and Bill Jacobson lived in Burden with his wife Dolly and his two children. They'd moved there for work. He was a ganger or a fetter on the rail. There's a few iron buildings, but almost nothing else. 
I found a photo of Bill and Dolly. He's wearing a tie and this crisp white shirt. His hair's neatly parted. They're smiling and squinting into the sun. He was only 33 when he died. On January 23rd, 1936, Bill and Dolly went to bed about midnight. And at quarter to six the next morning, Dolly woke up to find that he was gone. She dressed, lit the fire, and when there was still no sign of her husband, she went looking for him. His body was 80 yards from the house. He was wearing a pair of pyjama pants and a singlet, and he had a bullet wound in his head, right between his eyes. There were a lot of theories about what happened to Bill Jacobson. Trevor Horman is the president of the Friends of the North Australian Railway. He says it was a case that had so many question marks that it's lingered in the region's memory. So he got shot. Rifle was never found, but it was highly suspected that they'd thrown it into the firebox of the steam locomotive and disposed of the evidence. Uh, There was an argument whether he had killed himself or somebody had killed him. Caro found a coroner's report and it was an open verdict. That was 80 years ago, and not knowing what happened has haunted Jacobson's family ever since. Trevor, our train friend, actually met Bill's daughter, Ethel Webb, when she came to visit her father's grave at Pine Creek. His daughter, who now must be 90-year-old or something, sort of found us in 2009 when we went down there to do these anniversary runs and sort of hounded us, you know, you've got to find out what happened to Bill Jacobson. Well, it's a murder or a suicide in 1930, you know. Paddy's only been missing for four months. It's almost impossible to imagine what 80 years of not knowing looks like. And as far as my own mental way of thinking about it, well, fuck, I don't think I slept more than, after sort of the first week, 10 days, I don't think I slept more than a couple of hours a night for the next sort of three, four weeks. So just even when I went to sleep, I'd instantly wake up and think, ah, fuck, he said this, now what did he say about this? How did he say that? You know, and um, just going over everything in my mind over and over and over. And even now, even like last night, since you guys turned up, I've been pretty good for the sort of last two, three weeks. Half past three this morning, I woke up and couldn't get back to sleep. So I tried and I was just thinking about Patty and trying to remember everything all again and going through it, thinking, well, where the fuck are you, mate? So you can't blame the handful of residents who are thinking of leaving Larimer. It's never been an easy place to live, but it's gotten so much harder. People in Larimer might have ended up here by accident, in all sorts of different ways, but they've got a lot in common. It takes a particular kind of person to live here. Someone self-reliant, tough, someone a bit eccentric perhaps. Larimer's so isolated and so unlike anywhere else, the people who live here are used to thinking of the place as its own entity. There's really only two streets, and despite the rift, there's a clear geography that keeps everyone together. So when Paddy went missing, it's almost like everyone drew a line around the town and said, whatever happened, it happened here. Someone here was responsible. But that's not the case at all. 11 people doesn't automatically add up to only 11 suspects. And there are a lot of ways Paddy could have come to harm, even though no one in town's talking about them much. They're well worth investigating. Sinkholes, mine shafts, crocodiles... There are other people who've gone missing on the Stuart Highway. And by all accounts, Paddy had a bit of a past, one that's worth looking into. 
And then again, Paddy didn't have very many friends around. He had a few enemies. So it could have been somebody else that sent him through, you know, got him to come through and fix him. You don't know. The investigation into Paddy Moriarty's disappearance is ongoing. If you travel through Larimar on the 16th of December 2017 or you have any information about Paddy's life or disappearance, please call Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 Lost in Larimar is a production of The Australian, made with support from Bond University. It was written and produced by me, Kylie Stevenson and Caroline Graham and edited by Eric George. Additional research by Ellie Turner, Krista Mathis, Dinushka Gunasakara, Emily Bradfield, Eliza Riley and Chloe Reed. Vocals recorded by Hamish Robertson. For full music credits, see the show notes. You can find all episodes of this series on Apple Podcasts and online at theaustralian.com.au slash podcasts. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.